The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 1 to 6. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house that has many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This morning, Dr. Wong Chime will now bring us the sermon with a very interesting title, Locating Heaven on Google's Map. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, Shalom. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you will speak to us through your word, for you alone have the words of eternal life. May your Spirit grant us attentive ears, receptive hearts, and obedient wills for our good and to your glory. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I started reading death notices and obituaries in the newspapers after I turned 40. Over the years, I began to see more and more familiar faces and names published. No doubt, someday, you will see mine. I like what D.L. Moody wrote about his death. Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Life would have been a lot easier for every one of us to be brought straight into the Father's presence the moment we believed and surrendered our lives to Him, don't you think? The Apostle Peter felt the same way. In John 13, verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He truly meant it, just as all of us at our moment of conversion had. We all have our arguments neatly packaged. Lord, I will go anywhere with you, do anything for you. Just tell me, I will do it. Only please don't leave me. Don't leave me here to make my way to you. Take me with you. I'm scared. I will lose my way. And so, our passage this morning begins with these words of Jesus found in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also 
in me. This passage was spoken by Jesus during the Last Supper with his disciples. He was going to leave them. He would be crucified the following day. He would be buried. And to all intents and purposes, that would have been the end of him and the death of all their hopes and dreams. But Jesus returned to them, having been raised three days later. He would spend 40 days with them, giving them convincing proofs of his resurrection, teaching and instructing them about the kingdom of God. In John 20, verses 21 to 22, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. During this first resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples, Jesus did two things. Firstly, he gave them his peace and told them about the work they would need to do for him. Secondly, he gave them the Holy Spirit to empower them for the work. On the eve of his ascension, he reassured them of his continuous presence with them. He told them to wait for the presence of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father in Jerusalem, before they would be sent out as his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So verses 2 to 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus assured them that there would be a place for each one of them in his father's house. He also promised that he would return to bring them to where he is going. I had often wondered what Jesus meant by the father's house and why it needed to be prepared for our arrival. Had the father's house been constructed? Is it waiting for Jesus to go and build it somehow? Or perhaps our travel-starved brains imagine hotel, uh, heaven as a hotel, with rooms that needed tidying up after the guests had departed. Or is it that we need to be prepared to go there? Is that why we must go with Jesus in order to gain access to this house. So what preparation did the Father's house need? So in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, it says, So it was necessary for the sketches of the things in heaven to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves required better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And he appears now in God's presence for us. 
So this passage reminds us that the blood of bulls and goats, together with the ashes of the red heifer, offered through the earthly temple in Jerusalem, could not sanctify those who have been defiled by their sins. Only the blood of Christ, who offered himself through the eternal spirit, unblemished, could bring eternal redemption to all who, through faith, looked to him for the purifying of their conscience from dead works to worship the living God. Pardon was given through his self-giving, sin-bearing, death-defeating sacrifice upon the cross. And in his ascension, his blood also effected cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary. In all these, Christ prepared the way for us to enter into the presence of the thrice holy God before his throne of grace to call him our Abba, Father in heaven. Then Jesus promised his disciples that he would return and take them to himself and that they would be with him forever. But what does Jesus say about this place called the Father's house? In the Revelation, especially chapters 21 and 22, using names like the new creation, a new heavens and earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, we're given the picture of what God's final plan of redemption is for his creation. We see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, symbolizing the joining of God's realm, which we call heaven, with the realm of humans in God's new creation. And in our resurrection bodies, filled with the Holy Spirit, conferring eternal life, God now comes to dwell fully in the midst of his people and his creation. And this life in God's new creation is the Father's house. And it will be characterized by God's presence, the absence of death, sorrow, and pain. It will be of complete security and protection because we now live in God's kingdom. A restoration of Eden, but infinitely more than the, that and the removal of the curse. And then Jesus tells them, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas typically said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is basically saying is this, walk with me. I know the way, you don't. When we walk together, we will reach where I want you to go with me too. Yes. Jesus came to them after the resurrection. He spent 40 days with them. But then after that, he ascended into heaven. And the disciples were left behind 
There was no instant teleportation from earth to heaven for them. So what were they to do? No wonder they gazed long and hard into the skies. As we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, two men in white robes stood right beside them. They asked, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And it was only after these two men in white robes reminded them of Jesus' last instructions that they made a move to return to Jerusalem and to prepare for the coming of the Lord for them. And this time, he would return in the power of the Holy Spirit to fill every believer, equipping and empowering them to bear witness to the risen and glorified Christ, first in Jerusalem, then all Judea, to Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. Not only that, but the Spirit will begin His work of transforming and molding their character into the likeness of Christ. Faith in Jesus grants us the gift of the new birth. This process of beginning in union with Christ is why we need to remain, to grow in knowledge and wisdom, that we may become fit citizens and credible witnesses for the kingdom of God. As disciples, we become pilgrims left on earth, traveling to a distant place which we have never been, but which we call home, because Jesus Christ, our Lord, is there together with our Father. So how do we plan our journey? Project management strategies have established a useful format called the 5 W's and 1 H framework for problem solving. They basically ask six questions. The 5 W's, who, what, why, when, and where. And the 1 H, how. So let us look at our journey through this format and ask ourselves these questions. Who do we go with? The Holy Spirit? The Church? And the Church is made up of those we know, whom we have yet to know, and then maybe those whom we will invite to join us on our journey. And that will depend on you and I. Why do I say that? If you say, give Jesus a try, he loves you and wants to give you a good life and at the end of it all, he will bring you to heaven, no one will lift a finger against you. Some might give you a hearing, others will just turn away and with an indifferent shrug and mutter to each their own. I doubt that many will take much notice of you. But if you preach this, 
Acts 4, 11 to 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You and I can be assured that we will be hearing from the religious authorities, just as Peter and John did 2,000 years ago, when they preached this in the temple in Jerusalem. The greatest cause for persecution from the time of Jesus' first disciples throughout the history of the church until today is evangelism. Evangelism must proceed from the foot of the cross, the front of the empty tomb, and the throne of God in heavenly glory. All three together tells the story of Jesus, the Son of God who came to live among us to die for our sins and rise victorious over the grave, overcoming death and evil, and who now reigns with the Father in heaven. And one day, he shall return to judge this world, consummate his kingdom, reign forever, and renew all things. And this Jesus is whom the church proclaims as Saviour and Lord. Argis Fernando, in writing about a biblical foursome of Christian truth, pointed out that evangelism triggers persecution. But the presence of Christ helps us bear the persecution and gives us a foretaste of heaven. In turn, this heavenly vision helps us to be faithful in the midst of persecution. So the second question is, what do we bring along the journey? You all know, when you're going on a journey, you must pack properly, sensibly, and appropriately. You don't bring wheel luggage if you go jungle trekking, right? You don't bring swimsuits to the Sahara Desert, right? Okay, so in the same way, what do we bring? Food? Appropriate clothes? Shoes? Money? A walking stick? But most importantly, a map. Nowadays, with GPS apps, we like Google Map or Waze, we are spoiled for choice. We just need to type in our desired destination and we can find our way there. However, can we do the same for heaven? Can Google Maps help us find heaven? What constitutes a good map? J.I. Packer, in his book, Hot Tub Religion, offers seven basic qualities which we should look out for in a trustworthy theological map. The first is, it must be accurate in their presentation of material, both human and biblical. If you are going to Paris, 
and you carry an updated new map of metropolitan London, you are never going to find your way. Similarly, you can't find the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ by reading an Agatha Christie mystery. We are not left to find God by guesswork. God has given us his book, the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come to reveal the face of God to us in his incarnation. The Holy Spirit is our constant advocate and comforter to the truth about God. So take care what and whom you consult in your reading and your hearing. And the second, it must be God-centered, recognizing divine sovereignty as the, at the heart of everything, maintaining God's control of problematic events, both actual and imaginable. If heaven exists, then so does hell. We will either spend eternity with God in the Father's house or without. It can't be both. It would be wishful thinking to say that everybody gets saved in the end, no matter what. And this is the thought of universalism. Or that those who died in unbelief gets annihilated, ceasing to exist. And that's the doctrine of annihilationism or the doctrine of conditional immortality. Scripture has not allowed for this option. And I know because I have checked, I have studied hard and long for that. Not if I hold on to the truth, to the words of Christ Jesus or his apostles. All his life, John Wesley referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning. He knew that he was on fire with the hot flames of hell when Jesus grabbed him out of the fiery pit and extinguished the fire with his own blood. It must be doxological. That means it must give God the glory for his glorious achievements in creation, providence and grace encouraging a joyous, trustful worship and adoration in all circumstances. And it must be future-oriented, for Christianity is a religion of hope, holding on to the promise that one day, God will wipe out the fruits of sin and unveil something better in their place. And this will be God's new creation, God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Hope as God's promises are fulfilled, faith will become sight. Unending love will dwell and reign in and among us. It must be Christ-related in two ways. Firstly, it must proclaim the centrality of Christ as our mediator, prophet, priest, and king in all God's present dealings with and future plans for the human race. And secondly, of faithfully following the Saviour, even when the path 
leads to our self-denial and cross-bearing. And these two ways show us how to walk patiently with Him through experiences that defeat our minds and feel like death into the experienced reality of personal, internal resurrection. It must be church-centered. The Christian journey is not done in isolation, but in company with brothers and sisters like you, with fellow believers. We support them and we are supported by them. And lastly, it must be freedom-focused. We are free from the law as a system of salvation, yet we desire to live by it. Firstly, out of love for the Lord who wills it. Secondly, out of love for the law itself, which now delights us with its vision of righteousness. And thirdly, out of self-love. Since we know that there is no real happiness to be found, either here or hereafter, without holiness. So why are we going? Because Jesus is there. Life is found in Him. When do we leave? Right now. Wherever we are. And where is the final destination? Father's house. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the answer is, we don't, but he does. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 reminds us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. God did not offer us a smorgasbord of beliefs which we can pick and choose what we like. He offers Jesus Christ as the only food which human beings can feed on in order to have life. All other choices is as drinking seawater when adrift on a raft in its waters, and it will be like poison to our souls and will eventually lead to separation from God, destruction, and eternal damnation. Just as the holiday is most enjoyable when we share it with compatible friends, we can make our journey of faith home in good company. Let us hold out the gospel to those whom we encounter along life's pathways as light shining in the darkness, inviting them to know and confess Christ as Saviour and Lord as we show wanderers the way home. And all of us have tried that, haven't we? And when we finally reach our home, what do you think our Father in Heaven will say? Show me your report card. Do you think He will ask us about our achievements here? How many people we have witnessed to Christ? 
how many people how much money you have given to the church to the poor how many have believed because of our preaching our teaching how many ministries we have served in how many mission trips we have been to don't you think that the only matter that god is concerned about is how much we have been transformed by the holy spirit into the likeness of his son our lord jesus christ during our life journey home and that everything else is secondary so what does good traveling calls for it calls for a deliberate responsible decision about how we are going to live it never forgets that christian decisions are commitments to action on principle not out of mindless conformity undertaken in freedom not out of external bullying or pressure and it must be motivated primarily by love of god in seeking his glory and pursuing justice for all not out of fear one of my favorite movies is the 1993 Walt Disney film called Homeward Bound The Incredible Journey the story tells of a family leaving their three pets with some friends while they traveled away from their home to a distant place the three pets were a young bull terrier named Chance an elderly labrador named Shadow and a cat named Sassy thinking that they had been forgotten the three animals decided to make the arduous journey to find their owners and the film tells of the dangers and hardships they had to overcome during this journey if human beings can rejoice in this manner over the homecoming of their pets just think how great the celebration in our father's house will be like when sinners saved by grace reach home to see the gracious face of the triune god the angels the saints our loved ones and who knows maybe even our beloved pets luke 15:10 in the same way there is joy in the presence of the angels of god when one sinner changes his heart and mind in revelation 21:3 and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and he they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god <laughs>